Good morning, good morning, life. It is so good to have you here as we worship, and we're going to get into God's Word. I know sometimes I hate, like, coming up and, and disrupting the, the fellowship that you guys are having, but uh, we do it for a good reason. Uh, we get to come to God's Word this morning, uh, and we get to make sure that we are uh, feeding from His Word. It is a, a great thing to be able to be here and do that. Oh, I'm, I'm hearing a ring. Am I, am I too loud? It's all right. There we go. That's better. All right. So uh, today we are in John chapter 10. We've been going through the book of John. Last week I said that we were uh, in part, um, I think I said part 12 or something. It was actually part 13. Uh, so see, this is why you need to pay attention when the pastor is preaching. Just because the pastor is preaching doesn't mean he always has everything right. So you could call me out when I got things wrong. One of, one of uh, our guys who runs a live stream was like, uh, Pastor Ryan, uh, it was part 13 last week. Uh, you kind of lied. And I was like, oh, that wasn't my intention. I wasn't trying to. And he, and he got me corrected. This week is part 14. And uh, we're in John chapter 10. We're going to be going through uh, the first 18 verses talking about the shepherd, the sheep, and the hireling. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so if you would, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. And we're going to read the first couple of verses uh, we're going to be reading through uh, verse 6. We're going to kind of break it down, talk about what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, uh, and then we're going to keep going through the passage. So join me as we read God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. We have right here the aftermath of John chapter 9. If you remember last week, we talked about Jesus healing the man who was born blind. And there's this whole thing where People are not sure, is, that, did, did he, is he really the man who was born blind for real? Because we've never heard of a person born blind gaining sight. And then the Pharisees come and they investigate and they, they're just unconvinced because a man could not do this. Jesus especially, because Jesus, man, that guy, he called us the sons of Satan. He's not good. We don't like him. And so they were questioning this man and they eventually this man, they threw this man out of their assembly. They excommunicated him. They said, you are no longer welcome. And then Jesus finds the man and he begins to explain more of what he is doing. And as he is explaining, he tells them, or he tells the man that he is the one that they have been waiting for. He is the Messiah. The man believes and he worships. 
And then Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who may see may become blind. The Pharisees overhear this and they ask, are we blind? Like, come on, Jesus, like, we're not really blind. We're the Pharisees. We know the law. We are the followers of Moses. We are the descendants of Abraham. We are the ones who keep the law. But Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but you say we see, so your guilt remains. This is where he transitions into this chapter. Right out of that, into this. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get them to understand, not the Pharisees particularly, but those who are listening, that not all who claim to be shepherds are truly shepherds. Jesus uses uh, three, he has this first metaphor, it's the first six verses, and he kind of gives this metaphor, but as you see at the very end, it's like they don't they don't get what he's saying. They don't understand. So Jesus goes on later to expand the metaphor. But in this first part, he brings up three different kinds of characters. The robber thieves, the shepherd, and the sheep. <clears throat> the robber thieves in verses 1 and 5, they're the ones who climb in by another way. Not by the place that they're supposed to come in, but they climb over the fence. These are pretend shepherds. They are pretending to be where they say that they should be. They're there to fleece the sheep. They're self-interested. They have avarice and love of ease and aspirations to be well-known and respected, to advance one's own family name, or simply to have a job. These shepherds, and remember Jesus is using the word shepherd to try to be a metaphor for the leaders of the people, the leaders of the sheep. These robber thieves, they're not there for the sheep. They're there for what the sheep can give them. This is very reminiscent of Ezekiel chapter 34, and I encourage you when you get home today to maybe go through that chapter. It is for me, it was heart-wrenching to hear God speaking to those who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel as he declares to them that, no, they were not. They were killing the fatted calves for themselves. They were doing everything for themselves, and they were doing nothing to care for the sheep. And Jesus is probably using and drawing from that sheep-shepherd analogy to describe these robber thieves. In fact, in verse 5, it says, A stranger they, the sheep, will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You know, they, they might try to come in looking like the shepherd. If you were trying to maybe steal some sheep, you might... Maybe say, well, if I put on the right clothes, if I put on the right things, if I say the right stuff, maybe they'll be tricked and they will follow, but they are deceivers. They are the great foe of the shepherd. Some, in verse 12, when we'll get to it, they're described as wolves. Some are very easily identifiable. You can tell a wolf from a sheep, right? You can tell a wolf or a bear or a wild animal whose teeth are bared and they're ready to devour. You can see the violence that they are about to portray. Sometimes 
Sometimes the foe of the shepherd is easily identifiable, but sometimes they are not easily identifiable by what you see. These pretend shepherds, they're only interested in what they can get out of the sheep. But in contrast to the robber thieves, there is the shepherd. The shepherd is genuine. The shepherd knows his sheep intimately, and he leads by example. The shepherd, it says in verse 2, he enters by the door. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. This genuine shepherd is the one that does all that should be done to be made the shepherd. What's really interesting about the ancient Near East and shepherds, I don't don't know how familiar all of you are with shepherding, but in the Western world, we do shepherding a little differently. We have sheepdogs a lot of times that will round up the sheep and get them to go where they want to go, but in the ancient Near East, a shepherd, he doesn't do that. He doesn't have another animal to lead his sheep. He actually creates a call that his sheep know. It's very interesting. They they have their own unique vocal sound that they make so that the sheep will recognize that sound and they'll come and follow the shepherd. The The shepherd actually leads the sheep through the different places that they're going. He doesn't stand behind them. He goes before them. The sheep, their job is to know the genuine shepherd Not necessarily to just simply identify counterfeits, but their job is to just know who their shepherd is. For the shepherd, he's not playing a guessing game when he comes to his sheep. He knows each one by name. It says that he calls his sheep by name, and then he leads them out. He is leading by his example. The sheep are following his footsteps. As we continue on through this metaphor, Jesus is going to expand on it. He's not going to use everything in the exact way. Remember that a lot of times when Jesus is teaching, particularly in this section, the metaphor is not going to drive the message. The message is going to drive the metaphor. And so what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, he's using things that the people were familiar with to try to help them understand certain concepts. And what he wants them to understand is that The sheep follow their shepherd. They follow in his footsteps. He's not driving them. He's not pushing them. He's not lording over them. He is setting the example. He is going before them. This is why when we come to someone like myself who is a pastor, it is not my job to go behind you and to push you and to beat you and to follow Jesus. My job is to follow Christ. And by my example, are you to follow Christ as well? I am to set an example. As Christ has set an example, I follow Christ, and so you follow him as well. 1 Peter 5 points this out beautifully. And actually, I didn't put this in the notes, but I want to read it for you um, because I think that it is important. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Uh, at the end of uh, verse 5, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we have this shepherd set up, but then we also have the sheep. This is the other character in this story. And something to know about the way that shepherding was done is that when you had a sheep pen, a place that was a, a structure made to defend the sheep, Many times you would have different folds of sheep in the same sheep pen. That means that some shepherds would have their sheep in with other shepherds' sheep. And that's why the call became so important. Because when you stored those sheep in that pen and you needed to get your sheep out, they needed to come to you. You were going to have a hard time sorting through all of them, so that's why they developed these calls. Not all the sheep that are in the sheep pen are his sheep. They often had multiple flocks that were stored in these pens. For us as Christians, we need to understand that not all people who come to church are part of the flock of God. And that's why every Sunday when I get up here, I preach the gospel because not only do we as believers need to continuously hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of his goodness and his mercy and his love for us. But those who are coming doesn't necessarily mean they're in the family. Just because you were born in a garage doesn't make you a car, as Pastor Dave, our former senior pastor, used to say. But I came up with my own. Just because you live in a hole doesn't make you a hobbit. Just because you're going to the place that other people are going to that call themselves Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Not all sheep are his sheep. The call, the message, the content of the shepherd, that is what is recognized. I, I found this um, really interesting story from a Scottish pastor named uh, Marcus Dodds. Or, yeah, Marcus Dodds. And he said, There's a story of a Scotch traveler who changed clothes with a Jerusalem shepherd and tried to lead the sheep of that shepherd. But the sheep followed the shepherd's voice, not the shepherd's clothes. Many times you're going to be wondering, Is this of God? Is this what God is leading me to? Is this where God is going? Don't follow the clothes. Follow his voice. Just because something looks like it could be from God, you need to understand and discern the voice of God in the midst of it. If God's voice is not there, if his message, if the gospel is not present, then it is not of God. This is very difficult for some people because we get so, we're so used to using our eyes to identify everything. When you're in war, you identify who's on your side by what they're wearing. 
But, you know, in the, in the Great War, in World War I, there was actually this other story of some soldiers who tried to steal a flock of sheep from the hillside near Jerusalem. The sleeping shepherd awoke and found his flock had been driven off. He couldn't recapture them by force because he was just a mere shepherd and these were soldiers. So he called out to his flock with his distinctive call. The sheep listened and returned to their rightful owner. The soldiers couldn't stop the sheep from returning to their shepherd's voice. The call of God, his message, his content, that is what we listen for. That is what we follow. For some of us, we might get through this and we go, okay, I mean, that's, that's good, I, I'm, but I kind of feel like verse 6 is speaking to me the most. This figure of speech Jesus used often with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Sometimes we feel like that. And so Jesus doesn't stop. He goes to further explain what he is trying to get everyone to understand. So he's going to expand the metaphor. We're going to go to verse 7 of chapter 10. I'm going to go to verse 15. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. We come again to two I am statements. Remember, we talked about how Jesus had these I am statements throughout the book of John. We've talked about I am the bread. We have talked about uh, I am the light. And now we come to I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Now, it's interesting. He, he, you feel like, wait, he's the shepherd and the door? What is going on? Why is he mixing all these metaphors? Remember, Jesus is trying to get you to understand the concepts behind these metaphors. He's not trying to be super consistent in his metaphor. One of the things you'll learn about metaphors and allegory and all that kind of stuff is that at a certain point, it always breaks, no matter how good it is, because they're meant to get you to understand something else, not just them. So don't focus too much on the fact that Jesus says, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. But maybe this might help you understand the understanding of the door. When the sheep were in the pen and the shepherd had no watchman, the shepherd would stand or sleep in the door. He would be the one that allowed things to go in or out. 
he became the door itself. He kept out the wolves and he let in the sheep. Shepherds became the only way in to the pen. And in the same way, there is only one way that we come into the flock of God. Only one way that we come into being a part of his family. Only one source of knowledge of God, one fount of spiritual nourishment, one basis for spiritual security. Jesus alone. He is the one. Jesus also says, though, I am the good shepherd. When we hear good, we think as like opposed to bad. And yes, that is the implication. But here, what it's meaning is that Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the ideal. He is the fulfillment. Jesus is the genuine, the authentic shepherd. There are many shepherds who will pretend. We already talked a little bit about them as the robber thieves. They might even put on the clothes of the shepherd to try to deceive the sheep. But Jesus is the good shepherd, the authentic shepherd, the genuine shepherd, the one that all shepherds are to be judged against. And what does he say about himself? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. In the ancient Near East, a shepherd would protect. But a shepherd also knew that if he died, there would be nothing else to protect his sheep. And so to lay down his life for the sheep was not usually their first inclination. But Jesus has no regard for that. And we'll talk about why, because Jesus actually says, if I lay down my life, I can also take it back up. But this standard that he lays down his life for the sheep is what makes him the genuine sheep. To sacrifice yourself on behalf of others is love in its purest form. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. But we don't want to think that by laying down his life, that saying that he is the standard, the ideal, that the laying down of his life is merely an example, a way that we ought to live. Because you need to understand that it is by his death that we are saved. By his death, we are saved. And this is what makes him the true, the standard, the ideal, the genuine, the authentic, the good shepherd. The last part of this metaphor that Jesus expands upon is he, he has these, um, he, he kind of separates the, the robber thieves into two different categories. He has the thieves and he has the hireling. The thief and the hireling, and they have different motivations. They're both rooted in selfishness, but they express themselves differently. 
You see, the thief is the violent deceiver. This is in contrast to the life and truth that Christ gives. But these are the ones that pretend to be the shepherd, but inside they are ravenous and they will destroy, they will not heal, they will break. They go by for their own reasons and it doesn't matter what happens to the sheep, as long as I get what I want, I'll be happy. These are the exact people that God was chastising in Ezekiel 34, the bad shepherds who don't care for the sheep, but who actually do violence for them or towards them. And Jesus even describes the Pharisees in this way in chapter 8. He calls them the sons of Satan. They speak the language of Satan. They speak lies, and they were murderous in intent. They wanted to kill Christ. But he introduces this other idea, this other individual, or this other uh, metaphorical person, the hireling. Hirelings are sometimes harder to identify, but they end up in the same place. They're not malicious in their intent. They're not going in saying, oh, I can't wait to get what I need out of these people. They're not going in thinking that they're, they're going to go ahead and be deceptive and, and violent. Rather, they are self-interested pretenders. They are not life giving authentic shepherds. Charles Spurgeon says, how many there are of whom we have reason to fear that they may be hirelings. Because when they see false doctrine and error abroad, they do not oppose it. They are willing to put up with anything for the sake of peace and quietness. There are many men who stand in pulpits and they will stand in them today and they will stand up and they will preach and they will be pretenders. They will be doing this because they get a paycheck, because they get honor and they feel good. They don't do this because this is what God has led them into. Many times when uh, young men come to me and they say, you know, I feel like I'm being led into ministry. Uh, I'll tell you the secret. I always tell them, no, you're not. And you may be like, well, that sounds really like harsh. Well, here's the thing. I have no idea whether God is calling someone into ministry or not. I don't know. But if I can convince them to not go into ministry, then obviously God's not calling them. There are too many men who stand in pulpits like this to get rich off of the people of the church or to get their own adulation and their own whatever it is that they're looking for. I don't know. Sometimes I have no idea what people are doing. But that is not what a true shepherd of the church is supposed to do. Uh, and, and by the way, I keep using shepherd interchangeably between Christ himself and, and pastors, uh, pastors of churches. Um, and I, I think I might want to try to make a distinction between the shepherd, the good shepherd of Christ, and the under-shepherds of pastors. So I'm going to try and be a little bit more careful with that, that when I'm talking about pastoral ministry, I'm talking about the under-shepherds. We work under Christ. We follow him. That's what pastors, elders are supposed to be. But hirelings are incredibly dangerous. 
because they lead churches, not because they are following after Christ, but because they are following their own heart and their own desire. And they think that their own heart, their own desire is God's heart and God's desire. They're not doing it maliciously. See, one of the things I think we get very confused on is we think that everyone who is a false teacher or everyone who is a false pastor is doing so maliciously, that they know that they're wrong, and yet they do it anyway. And I'll tell you this, there are some like that. They know that they're wrong, but they don't care. They'll get up and they'll, they'll preach their messages because for them it, it feels good. But there are so many who have abandoned the gospel for their own teaching and their own pleasure, their own enrichment. If you're getting into the ministry to get rich, you've, that's just ridiculous. I'll just tell you for, for real right now, you're not going to get rich unless you're doing something deceptively, typically. This is not a money gig. You can make your money elsewhere. Go make money in any other way that you want that is honoring to God, that is good. Do not step into this pulpit and try to lead the people of God to make your own money because when the wolves come, and they will come, you will run. True under-shepherds, those who are supposed to be here and preaching God's word, we cannot run from the wolves. We can't. We must stand guard. We must call out error. We must show where false doctrine is, and we must lead towards true doctrine, the true understanding of who Christ is. going to leave today. Uh, I'm shortening my message for a little bit, um, but I'm going to leave with the last couple of verses um, in chapter 10, verses 16 through 18. So would you join me there? Verses 16 through 18. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. A couple beautiful things that are in these uh, last couple verses. Uh, the first one is that the idea of one flock one shepherd. Uh, the Latin Vulgate, unfortunately, um, uh, gets one of these words wrong. Uh, Jerome actually translated the word uh, fold into flock, and so it made it seem as if it said one fold, one shepherd. But you have to understand in the ancient Near East, a fold was a smaller grouping of sheep. The flock was all the folds together. And so when Jesus says that there is one flock, one shepherd, he is, he is saying that there are many folds of sheep in this one flock. A fold 
are sheep in their own structure. Typically, uh, shepherds would do this. They would separate their sheep into different folds because the sheep needed it. It was good for them. It was a way to protect them. It was a way to nurture them. It was a way to help them. And Jesus is using this metaphor of the fold to remind others that, yes, we have the fold of Israel, but there is another fold. He says, I have other sheep. And this is a reference to the fact that God was going to be causing Israel to be jealous by inviting in the fold of the Gentiles. Those who were not a part of the covenants, he was going to be bringing them in. And this gets explained further if you go into, for example, the Great Commission or you go into the book of Acts as the gospel begins to expand throughout the world. The inviting of the Gentiles into the flock of God is what happens. But there are many folds, but there is one flock. When we gather for communion, last week we had communion. When we gather for communion, we don't restrict the communion table to just people who are members of our church, who are members of our fold. We invite all who are members of the flock of Christ, who are part of the family of Christ, to come to the table because it is not my table, it is his table. And so we always invite people, if you are a part of God's family, to come and partake of the, the bread and the wine, and we, we partake together because it is his table. We are one family, and this is something that's really interesting. You can go anywhere in the world, and when you meet other believers, it's like you're meeting family, family you haven't seen in a long time, and you have a connection with them doesn't matter if you don't speak the language. Yeah, the language barrier can be kind of difficult sometimes. But it's amazing how you can feel the spirit of Christ with people who don't share a culture with you, but they share blood with you. They share the blood of Christ that unites throughout all of the folds into one flock. Many folds, one flock, and one shepherd. There is only one shepherd. Just the same way that we talked about how Jesus is the one door by which we enter into his pen. There is only one shepherd. That's why I wanted to make that distinction between the shepherd and the under shepherds. We are the assistants. We are given these positions so that we might be able to, to do these things while on earth, but we have only one shepherd. There is Jesus and there is no other. If you are here at Life Community Church, you are not following me. And if you try to follow me, I'm, I'm going to say no, don't follow me, follow Christ. You can follow me while I'm following Christ. That's great because we're ultimately following him. But I am not the one that you should follow. It is him and him alone. We have no other savior. No other source of power. No other source of truth, of knowledge. No other source of salvation than the one shepherd, Jesus Christ, who lays down his life for the sheep. Now let's get back into the laying down of life. In verses 17 through 18, he talks about the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The self-sacrifice of Christ, it is, it is something that he voluntarily de he does. 
you have to understand when Christ is put on the cross, it is not because Romans put him there or because your sin put him there or because of anything other than him voluntarily going for you because he loves and cares for his sheep. Nothing put him there. He went voluntarily. Even death could not hold him back. Sometimes, and you know, we were talking about false teaching. I'll, t I'll get into a false teaching. There are some who say that, that Jesus, when he died, he was tortured in hell. Jesus was not tortured in hell. Jesus was not kept there. Jesus was not put under the authority of death. Death has no authority over him. He willingly submitted to death on a cross, but death could not hold him. False teachers think that he was somehow powerless, that he, he was somehow just at the whims of evil men. There are many who will go now today and talk about how Jesus was persecuted and he was at the whim of evil men. But no, they, they were at his whim. If Jesus wanted, at any point, Jesus could have said, I'm done. But Jesus willingly submitted. He voluntarily underwent a gruesome death for you, for me, but ultimately for God's glorious reason. Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It was not the plan of Pontius Pilate. It was not the plan of the Sanhedrin. It was not the plan of anyone else. No, no scheme of Satan. No, no anything. This was God's glorious plan. For the glory that was set before him did Christ endure the cross. God's plan is never thwarted. God's plan is sure. God's plan is secure. And for the glory of God and for his love for his sheep, Christ laid his life down for us. And this is what Christ intends for us to understand in this chapter. It's interesting at the, at the very end, verses 19 through 20, which I didn't include uh, through 21, um, what you see is that it says there was a great division among the Jews because of these words. There's this great division that happens because of the truth. The truth is always something that divides. It always will. It divides from the not true. You always have to do that. There's, if there is truth, there will be not truth. But I don't want us to focus on the division at this point. I want us to really truly understand what Jesus is trying to get through to us about this understanding of him being the good shepherd. To be wary 
of the thieves and the robbers and the hirelings that are amongst the world to listen for his voice. My friends, there is going to be many, many times where you will hear many, many different voices. There are going to be calls to you to come and follow from, from people who are not the good shepherd. They are going to call out and say, this way. They are going to call out and say, look over here. But we, the sheep of his fold, we listen for his voice and his voice alone. When you hear voices crying out, follow me, discern the shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the authentic shepherd. Listen for the gospel, his truth. Listen for what he has said and not what anyone else has said. Don't look at the clothing. It may look like it's good. It may look like it's great. It may look like the shepherd. But only his voice is what leads us. Only what he says, his message, his content, only his voice is what will take us where we need to go. Follow in his footsteps and lean close to him. Let's pray. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for uh, how you've taught us about how you, you are a good, our good shepherd. Lord, there are so many voices crying out to us today to follow, to come this way, to go over here. But Lord, may we come to you and, and hear your voice and follow after your voice. Lord, help us to discern your call. How do we discern it? We, we must know what you sound like. We must know what you would say. We must know what your voice is like. So God, help us to continue to, to search your word, to know your word, to hide your word in our heart that we might not follow other voices. Lord, we ask because we are but sheep. And we need a shepherd. There are ravenous wolves. There are self-interested pretenders throughout the world. And Lord, we don't want to be them and we don't want to follow them. We don't want to be torn asunder. We don't want to be led astray. So, Lord, may we follow after you. May we hear your voice and yours alone. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.